You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Open up to Matthew chapter 19. We're going through verse by verse. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus and the rich young leader. Uh, A familiar story, but I think there's some interesting things that we're going to look at today that I believe will, again, draw us into deeper waters in our relationship with Jesus. I have a question for you that I would like you to participate with me on to kind of get things started, to get our minds thinking this morning. God goes through great risks when he endows a man, a woman, with gifts. Whether that be intelligence, or beauty, or wealth, or charisma, or any various talents, God goes through great risks when he endows us with gifts. What risk might that be, is my question. What risk does God go through when he made you, you, and gifted you with your talents and abilities? Let me hear from you. What risk did God go through? Pretty bold back there, yes. That was, uh, yeah, pride. What about pride? What? Let me hear you. Misuse of the gifts. How might you misuse them, Lisa? For good, not evil. For your glory, not Christ's glory. Okay. We're using them for your glory instead of God's glory. Really good. What else? Any other thoughts? Mockery. I'm sorry? Mockery. Mockery? How do you mean? Okay, all right. Any other thoughts? Pride, really good. Absolutely. What about pride? Well, it's when you think that it's because of you. Ah, you think it's your talents, not God's talents. Yeah, Corinthians says, what did you have that you did not receive? If then you received it. Why would you ever boast as if you did not receive it? Yeah, everything we have is a gift from God. The Bible says every good and perfect gift, excuse me, every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variation or shadow of turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the risk God gives when that God takes when he gives us gifts, that we would take those gifts and live independent lives without him. Living lives for our own glory instead of to be in relationship with him. Trusting in who? Our own abilities instead of trusting in our creator. Wayne and Charlotte, so good to see you back in church. Oh my gosh. Praise the, praise the Lord. Uh, Uh, Yeah, that we would take these gifts and use them for our own glory. Your answers were really good. Uh, Jesus takes great risks. And the more that he gifts us, the greater the risk that we will run in our own strength, in our own ability. Who was the most gifted of all of God's creation? Oh, Lucifer. And Lucifer, his name means the illuminated one. He dwelt in the presence of God. Scripture tells us he was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God. Oh, he was in the presence. He walked amongst the fiery stones. He was there in the presence of God. And he got lifted up with pride and said, I could do this without you. 
And he himself wanted to be worshipped as God. And God takes a great risk when he endows a man with gifts, gifts and talents. The risk that we would just not realize our need for God, our dependence on God, that we would use those uh, gifts in our own strength. And oh, we see it in the world today. We see it in Hollywood. We see it in, in powerful leaders. We see it in the wealthy. And today we're going to be looking at a man just like that, a young entrepreneur the rich young leader uh, who was very much running that race. And it is my hope this morning that in the next 45 minutes, we are going to leave here today with a far greater appreciation of Jesus' grace and mercy upon our life than when we came in here today. And I believe that's the work that the Lord would like to do in our hearts. To that end, let's open God's word and let's read together. Uh, we left off, we're going verse by verse, uh, which gives you a well-balanced diet. And we're in Matthew chapter 19. We left off last week on verse 12. Uh, a, a two-part message on marriage. And now today we'll be looking at Jesus and the rich young ruler. Before we do, we're going to see uh, these children that come to Jesus. So if you're there, pick up for me in verse 13. If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. Uh, then the little children were brought to him. That's brought to Jesus. That he, Jesus, might put his hands on them and pray. Isn't that awesome? You can see it, right? The, the crowds coming in and, and uh, these moms coming and bringing their kids to Jesus, right? But his disciples rebuke them. Excuse me, excuse me. He's way too busy. He's the Messiah, you know. No, he doesn't have time for children. Verse 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Mark's gospel adds that Jesus got greatly displeased. Greatly displeased, it says, that the disciples did this. Hey, 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 hey. No, 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 no. Let the children come to me. And do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. And he laid his hands on them, and he departed from there. Uh, we saw uh, in previous weeks that Jesus is making his last trip to, to Jerusalem. He's leaving the Sea of Galilee. He's coming down, uh, just straight down. The Sea of Galilee is up north. He's coming down south to go to Jerusalem. He gets to the area of Samaria. The Samaritans don't let him in. They don't let him pass through. He turns and goes uh, uh, east and goes across the Jordan River and starts coming down uh, through uh, Perea to come back into Jerusalem there. And there, as he does, uh, just throngs start coming to him. Crowds of people start coming to him. And Jesus is healing them and blessing them. And the disciples are watching all of this unfold. And with good intentions, they're trying to help Jesus move forward. And as they, you know, just try to have some crowd control, these young parents, these young moms, I would imagine, bring their children to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you pray for my child? Moms, by the way, dads, by the way, nothing greater we can do as parents than try to get our kids to Jesus. It is the very best thing we can do. I'm watching Drake and Lisa, and they're, they're on uh, uh, Thursday nights or Tuesday nights? What is it? Tuesday. Tuesday nights with the junior hires. They're bringing a car full of about how many kids, Drake? We had 17 last week. Brought 17 kids to church in his van. And uh, to do that, he's playing sports with them ahead of time. Lisa's feeding them all. I'm sure fingerprints are getting all over the house and toilets are getting missed and peas on the floor and all kinds of things, right? But what's their goal? To press through all the opposition to get our kids to Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to that. Well done, mom. Well done, dad. 
That's a good work. And do not forbid the children from coming to me. And Jesus takes these young children into his lap and he lays his hands on them and he prays for them and he pours into them and he speaks truth to them. Can you imagine Jesus getting down on one knee, looking eye to eye with these kids and going, oh, you have big muscles. I bet you're going to be a strong man. Oh, you have a pretty smile. I bet you're going to really love people well. And just affirm the gifts that he himself gave those children that they might walk in them and experience all that Jesus has for them. How amazing. And I love this about Jesus. That he, uh, he's, he's, he's so open to the least of these coming to him. Uh, it, a point for us to grasp just on this, just for us to remember, Jesus is never too busy for his children to come to him. And may we never forget that. I used to have a next door neighbor. Her name was Lucy. She was in her 80s. Just a great woman. I loved her. Uh, she was married to a blind man. And I used to put up her Christmas lights every year and take out her trash cans on Thursday and that kind of stuff. And she was just wonderful. And in return, she'd, you know, just always blessing the kids. She'd bring them a, a candy bars or she'd always buy them Advent calendars at Christmas. Anyway, loved her. Uh, and she was a Catholic. And uh, I used to talk to her about Jesus, and she says, no, 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 I don't pray to Jesus. He's too busy for me. I pray to Mary, and I just, you know, and I'm like, Lucy, listen, Jesus has time for you. No, 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 I don't want to bother him. And notice here, Jesus, he stops everything. He's kind of busy, by the way. What's his job? What's his assignment? Just savior of the world. I mean, nothing serious, right? Uh, you think you got a busy day. No, just going to Jerusalem to be crucified for the sins of mankind. But let the little children come to me. How awesome. How awesome. And what a savior. What a God. He stops everything he's doing to focus on them individually. And I love that about Jesus. And can I tell you something? Not only did he do it for those little children two millennia ago, uh, there as he made his journey to Jerusalem, but can I tell you something? He does the same thing for me, his little child. He'll stoop down and he'll reach me where I am and he'll look me in the eye and he'll say, Dave, there's a better way to talk to your wife. Dave, here's some wisdom about what your daughter is going through. Dave, here's some things that I want to do in the kingdom. Would you like to do them with me? And I'm amazed how he comes and reaches me where we are and says, hey, I want it. Why don't you serve? Why don't we do this? Why don't... Oh. May we never, never think that Jesus is too busy for us. He takes time for his children. And may we be like Jesus and not be too busy even for our own children. Isn't it amazing how, especially with men, men are more prone to this. We look at our jobs, we look at our careers, and we think, oh, I just, I got to work, I got to work. Hey, don't turn, turn, turn the TV down. No, I can't play games right now. No, I got, I got work to do. Really? Are you sure? Because here's what's going to happen, Dad. Those days go by so fast. Ask anybody with some gray hair on their head. Those days go by so fast and you will look back and you will go, Oh my gosh, Robert, that was the greatest time of all. And Robert, I'm not picking on you. You're an amazing dad. I just want you to know the treasure that God has given you. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. And spending time with our kids is one of the best things we can ever do. And spending time investing into God's kids is one of the best things we can ever do. You know, our children's ministry here is so amazing. Amy Mancini just doing a phenomenal job. I mean, the love and the attention and the, and the, and we put a lot of money. We put a lot of resources into our children's ministry. You know why? Because God loves children. And they are valuable. 
And uh, boy, it would be a wise thing to invest in those kids. Right now, there's a ton of people. I think it takes 70 people to run, 70 volunteers to run our children's ministry. Uh, And uh, there's a bunch of people right now praying over those children, playing with those children, teaching those children, feeding goldfish or whatever it is they do with it, those children. And uh, uh, when, I, when JC, Pastor JC is preaching or even when you guys are worshiping, sometimes I'll just go classroom to classroom and just get glimpses of it and I love it, right? Uh, just amazing. So may we be pouring into our own kids every opportunity we, we get. And uh, dads, may we not miss out on the true riches by not recognizing these uh, treasured moments that are right before us. So let's go on in our story. Jesus moves from the children, and now he meets a very successful young entrepreneur, a mover and a shaker. Uh, It's like a... uh, you know, Elon Musk 2,000 years ago kind of guy, right? Uh, Verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him... What's he say to him? Read the words with me. Good teacher. Good teacher. Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I, might ha- that I might have eternal life? Read this verse with me out loud uh, one more time. I want it to sink in. Now behold, one, you're not reading with me out loud. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? I want to look at this just for a moment. Out right out of the big, right out of the gate, we noticed a couple things. Did you notice? Here's one thing I noticed. Notice that the disciples let the religious, the rich young leader, come to Jesus, but they didn't let the children come to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Why do you think that is? Because he had money, he had power, he had chutzpah, he had, ooh, look at that, That's, he's famous, he's, he's interesting, interesting. They, they let him come, there was no holding back, whatever, and, and I find this to be very true. You can tell a lot about a person's character by how they treat children and outcasts. Everybody loves to treat people well when they think that person can do something for them. Wow, this guy has a lot of money. Let me come, let me get him, let me bring him right. Maybe he'll tip me. Maybe he'll hire me. Maybe I can network with him. Maybe he'll allow, he'll invite me over to his backyard so I can swim in his pool. Maybe he'll take me on vacation. There's a lot of reasons why people like wealthy people. But you can tell a lot about a person's character by how they treat those who can't do anything for them. Children and outcasts. And I want you to know, if this is true, then one thing we know, God, Jesus, our Savior, has amazing character. Because God is no respecter of persons. He's not enamored with people's wealth, with people's power, with people's good looks, with people's gifts. He's not trying to get anything out of anyone. He is no respecter of persons. He's not enamored with uh, their, you know, their whatever. And he, Jesus, he associated with the humble and he resisted the proud. He, uh, he, was, he was awesome that way. Uh, the Bible uh, reveals over and over about how God feels about the widow. Maybe you're a widow here this morning. God has great favor upon you. Maybe you're not a widow in the full sense, but you're a widow in that you've been divorced. And now you're a single mom trying to raise kids or a single woman trying to go through life. Uh, God has great compassion upon you. All through scripture we see that God has great compassion on the poor, on the fatherless. Maybe you don't have a dad in your life. 
Maybe you, your dad was a tough dad. God has great compassion on the fatherless, those who aren't being raised properly. Uh, and I love that about God's character. It reveals a lot. Maybe you are broken and hurting. God has great compassion on those who are broken and hurting. Uh, there's a verse that kind of uh, conveys this, just so you don't have to take my word for it. Psalm 82 on your screens. Uh, let me hear you read this with me. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Uh, let's stop there just for a second. What the heck? He judges among who? The God, who are the gods? Notice that's little g gods. It means the rulers that God has set up and ordained. Do you know that the Bible says something very audacious? It says there is no ruler or authority that God hasn't ordained. Sometimes I wonder, God, why are you ordaining these people? I don't know. Uh, but uh, here God is speaking to the rulers of the land. And let's read together again. Verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Selah. What does that mean? Meditate on this. Pause, it means. It means pause. Reflect means an interlude. Think about this for a moment. Why are they showing partiality to the wicked? Who are the wicked? The rich, the powerful, the good-looking, the, the movers and the shakers. They show partiality to them. And here's what our God says, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. I bring this verse to our attention just to say, this is who our God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does. He says, listen, I've given you authority. I've given you power. I've given you gifts. And here's how I want you to use them, rich young leader. Not for your benefit, not for your glory. I want you to use your authority and power for those who don't have any. And I want you to care for them and lift them up. It is interesting, is it not? We look at the homeless problem in the world today, in the United States today. Do you know there are more empty homes, vacant homes, sitting empty than there are homeless people? We don't have a homeless problem. We have a distribution problem, right? Uh, and... Uh, uh, we see that God really cares for those who are in need. And he says, listen, you who I have blessed, I want you to rule well. It shows God's heart. God is no respecter of persons, as I mentioned. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, he didn't... Uh, well, this is interesting. Uh, we would think that uh, Jesus just hung around with poor people, but he didn't. Jesus loved the poor... And Jesus loved the rich, and he loved them both the same. Jesus had friends who were poor, and Jesus had friends who were wealthy. Uh, both just the same. Here's a verse uh, for you, Luke 8, 2, uh, on the screens. Uh, Luke 8, 1, excuse me. Then the 12 were with him. Uh, that's the 12 disciples, and they're with Jesus. Read this with me, if you will, verse 2. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and affirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom came seven demons, and Joanna, with the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Interesting. Here we see someone, Joanna, we don't normally hear about her, the wife of Chusa, who is Herod's steward or Herod's financial controller. And Herod's financial controller is supporting Jesus' ministry. How awesome is that? And here we see what a great example of that previous verse that we looked at and how he gifted her and how she was using her gifts to do the will of God. What a great thing. And here Jesus associating with those who are down and out and those who are wealthy and no respecter of persons.
Uh, I want you to know, uh, you know, we look at uh, these kind of things. We think, well, maybe the rich young ruler here, maybe he's a bad guy. And maybe just Jesus likes those who are, you know, just poor and, and down and out. Jesus has great compassion on those who are poor and down and out. Uh, but I want you to know something. Poverty is not more virtuous than wealth. We live in a society today, right, that almost thinks like, uh, take from the rich and give it to the poor and let's have socialism and that is somehow virtuous. No, 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 that is not virtuous. Uh, poverty is not more virtuous than wealth. It's not uh, poverty that's virtuous. It's selflessness that is virtuous. It's a heart that wants to care and minister and take the good things that God has given us and bless others with it. That is the virtue he is looking for. God has great compassion on the poor, but I want to say something. God has no compassion on laziness. Did you know that? Uh, for those who just uh, uh, aren't willing to be responsible for themselves. Uh, here's another verse for you. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter... Three. Let me hear you read this one. You got kind of quiet on the last one. Let me hear you read this one out loud. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Notice that. This is the Apostle Paul. And uh, he's not for just uh, socialism. No, 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 no. He says, if you don't work, what? You don't eat. Now, that doesn't mean if you're sick and you're hurting or you got a broken leg. No, no, no. That's when the body of Christ comes along and takes care of those who are in need. But if you're lazy and you're living idle lives... Not unable to work, but what? Refusing to work, it says. Uh, then let, you know, you don't get to eat. Uh, let's read the rest of the verse. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and what? Work to earn their own living. Uh, just want to bring some balance to the social injustice table, right? Uh, it's so important. Caring for the poor is a godly virtue. So important. Caring for those who are in need, whether it's a widow or a fatherless. Hey, if you see a single mom and you can afford it and she needs tires, she needs brakes... Just surprise her, man. Put some tires on the car. What a great thing. That's God's will. Caring for the poor is a great virtue. Selflessness is a great virtue. Uh, but enabling the poor to be lazy is cruel and damaging. And when we do it, we, we are not doing God's work. It's not a good thing. Um, now, uh, sometimes we get hard little cynical hearts, right? And we see someone, I, I don't want you to read this verse, and then you see some guy in need, and you go, get a job. No, 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 no. <laughs> if we're going to err, let's err where? To the side of grace. Jesus always moves to the side of grace. And if we're going to err, let's make sure we're erring to the side of grace. But let's also understand God's heart in this. Um, so, back to the religious young leader, excuse me, the, the rich young leader. Uh, let's break down the rich young leader's question to Jesus uh, that he asked there in verse 16. Uh, I want to kind of break it down like my English lit teacher used to do when I would turn in a paper. Oh, did you read Lord of the Flies, David? Are you sure you read it? Let me see your paper. And she'd take my paper. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Read all over it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Read all over it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Read all over it. She'd give it back to me. It just looks like tattered, right? It's like... Are you sure you read Lord of the Flies, David? Uh, I think you might want to read it again, and the paper would come back to me. Well, that kind of question here in verse 16 is the same kind of thing. Look at this. Now, behold, one came to him and said to him, first thing he says is what? Good teacher. Good thing or bad thing? 
good teacher, what does it reveal? He doesn't know who he's talking to. Well, you say, wait a minute, isn't Jesus a good teacher? Absolutely. But saying Jesus is a good teacher is like saying the ocean is a drop of water. No, 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 no. It is far more than that. Yes, it has a drop of water in it, but it is far more than that. Good teacher? No, no, no. You do not know who you're talking to. This is the creator of the universe. He is God in a human body. He is, he is holy. He is far more than a good teacher. Let's look at the next thing he says. What does he say? What, what, what's he say? What good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? In other words, what is he saying? Good teacher, how do I earn eternal life? Wrong question. Wrong question. How do I earn eternal life? What is he asking? What is he doing? He say, hey, listen, uh, uh, good teacher, I know you're good. I see some amazing things about you. Here's what I want to know. What do I have to do to earn eternal life? And uh, I'll do all those things. Just tell me what they are. And why do we want to earn eternal life? Let me ask you a question. How do we receive eternal life? How? Through grace, as a free gift. Do you know salvation is not the finish line? It's just the starting line? It's just God getting us back to square one of what he originally intended, that we'd be in fellowship with him. It's just the starting line of a walk with him. It's what restoring what was lost in the Garden of Eden. It's just bringing us back to square one. Sometimes we think, oh, I just want to go to heaven. What do I have to do to go to heaven? Why are you so worried about going to heaven? Why don't you want to know the one who made you? That might be the better question. Because what good is heaven if you don't like the God of heaven? Uh... And it's a free gift. And here's the question, even amongst us who know that it's a free gift, if it's a free gift, why then do we try hard to earn the gift by good works? Let me just ask you, which is a better deal? Getting salvation as a free gift or working hard to earn your salvation? Which one's a better deal? Why then is it so common that we all then turn to good works? Why is there a book of Galatians that tells us not to do that? Why? Because we're prone to do it. Why are we prone to do it? Oh, I don't feel like a good person. I just, I messed up. I really blew it. I don't know if God loves me anymore. I sinned. Wait, 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 wait. Have you been coming to God on your performance? You've got something backwards. Why are you trying to come to God on your performance? Do you think you're more worthy on the day that you buy tires for the single mom than on the day when you watch Desperate Housewives? <laughs> you're not more worthy to come to God on a good day than you are a bad day. Even our good days are what? Still, our righteousness is like filthy rags, right? So then why would we, we be prone to try to feel better about doing good works? Why would we be prone to try to earn our place with God? Why? I want answers from you. Why would we like that? Why would that be a common thing? Why is there a book of Galatians that teaches, uh, hey, you know, we're saved by faith, not by works. Why? Why are we prone to go that way? Let me hear from you. It's tangible. Control. Great answers. Why is tangible so important? We can have faith in ourselves. Why do we want to have faith in ourselves? We like trying to earn our salvation because then when we've earned it, we don't have to trust God it's hard to trust God as a matter of fact we don't like trusting God we'd rather trust our own ability why don't we like tithing here's why because money's powerful and if I keep it I've got more power and I don't want to trust God to provide I want to trust what I have we don't like trusting God if we're honest 
And we, that's why we go to works. Far better to get salvation as a free gift. But we turn to works because we're prone to want to trust our own performance. We want something tangible. I did this, this, and this today. Therefore, I'm good. Right? And this guy's coming to Jesus. And he's not looking for a relationship with God. He's not looking to trust God. He's not looking at walking with Jesus by faith. He's saying, what do I have to do so that I can be set? And here's what's crazy. If Jesus would have said, well, here's what you got to do. You got to climb the mountains of Tibet. You got to support a missionary. You got to go on a missionary journey yourself one time in your life. And you have to catch the uh, eagle and pluck a tail feather from an eagle. And then you will have eternal life. You know what the rich young uh, leader would have done? He would have said, great, I'm in. And he would have started his journey to accomplish those things. And who would he be trusting in? Ah, and who would he know? Himself. He wouldn't be trusting in God. He wouldn't be knowing God. And as soon as he accomplished those things, you know what he would do? He would get some kind of gold sash that says, I accomplished the Holy Grail, and look how wonderful I am. Aren't I amazing? And that's what we like to do. And so we go to church, and we do our ten Hail Marys, and we say, oh, I did my good deeds. And I served at the soup kitchen two times last year. And it's interesting how we look at our walk with God. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't want our works. He wants our heart. And Jesus responds to this rich young leader with tremendous wisdom. Look what he, the question he asks him. Look how Jesus takes this. Look what Jesus says. Verse 17. So he, Jesus, said to him, the rich young leader, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. And I wish I knew how long Jesus paused after that period. I bet he paused for a while right there. Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. And I want you to think about that for a while. You see, the rich young leader saw something in Jesus. He knew he was good. He's saying, hey, there's only one who's good. You need to know there's only one who's good because the rich young ruler himself is trying to be good on his own merit. And here's what he says. Look where he, 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 after he asked the question, look what he says. If you want to enter into life, if you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? What, which commandments do you think Jesus meant? All of them. And the rich young leader answers, which ones? Why? Because he's talented. Because he's a great leader. Because he's trying to find a loophole. Because he's trying to figure out how he's going to tackle this and how he's going to wrestle this. Which ones? What should he have answered? If you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. You know what he should have answered? Lord, I can't. They're too high. They're too holy. I'm too sinful. Lord, help me. Save me. I've looked at your commandments. I cannot keep them. They're far above me. That's what he should have answered. Instead, what does he answer? Okay, which ones? Looking for a loophole. How do I tackle this, right? And look what Jesus says. Jesus says, very interesting what commandments Jesus does say and which commandments Jesus doesn't say. Here's the commandment Jesus doesn't say. You shall have no other gods before me. Why doesn't he say that one? It would expose this guy in a heartbeat, right? Uh, look, what, look, what, look what he does though. Jesus says, uh, okay, I'll go along with you. Here's what he says. You shall not murder. And what does the rich young leader go? 
Check. Got that. Got that. You shall not commit adultery. Check. Got that. You shall not steal. Check. Got that. Don't need to steal anything. I'm rich. No problem. You shall not bear false witness. Check. Got that. Oh, you just broke that one. Sorry. (laughs) Honor your father and mother. Check. Got that one. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Check out that one. Guy says, amazing, amazing. Then the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? By the way, here's where we get the, the, the title, the, the rich young leader. Uh, we know he's rich. Uh, he's got great possessions. Here we learn he's young. And uh, in Luke's gospel, we read that he's a ruler, that he's a leader, that he's got a lot of people that he's, he's, he's leading. Uh, the young man said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth, probably referring to his bar mitzvah when he becomes a man and a father says, listen, son, you're now a man. You're accountable to God. And he says, yeah, make sure you walk in God's ways. And he says, I will, dad. And, and, you know, he has this confirmation, if you will. All these things I've done from my bar mitzvah. What, shall, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Consider what Jesus was offering this man. This guy could have been one of the disciples. Crazy, crazy. Sell what you have and follow me. Well, that would be a hard thing if you got a house and a 401k and a bunch of servants and a yacht and a Tesla and a jacuzzi and all. I don't know. I don't want to leave. How about if you were a homeless guy and all you had was a shopping cart? Would it be easier? It's no easier. Go ask one of these guys with a shopping cart and say, hey, leave all this stuff and come and follow Jesus. Come to church. Oh, what do I do with my stuff? And it looks silly to us because we, that stuff doesn't look like much. What do you think your 401k in your house looks like to God when Jesus calls you to follow him? You think it's any different? And look at the opportunity this man missed out on. Come and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Or should I say, for great possessions had him. Wow. We see some things. We see some wisdom of Jesus and what he's doing and how he goes about it. We also see some things about this rich young leader. He says, I've obeyed all these commands from my youth. What does that reveal about this rich young leader? It reveals that, wow, number one, he was a moral guy. Number two, he was kind. He was good to his parents. He was nice to people. He loved his neighbor as himself. He said, yeah, I try to do all these things. He was a good guy. And from a human paradigm, this was a good man. Chances are, if we were honest, he's probably a lot better than me. And he might be even better than you. He's a nice guy. People like him a lot. And he asked Jesus an interesting question here. He's like, you know, uh, I do all these things. And look at the question he asked. What does he ask after he says, all these things I've done? What does he ask? What do I still lack? How interesting. Well, hey, if you're so wealthy and you're so good, why are you still empty inside? And how do you know you're still lacking? Isn't it interesting? As good as he is, he knows deep inside something's lacking. He knows that he's flawed. He knows that he's fallen, and he knows that he's not good enough. He knows he's not right with God. 
He knows that he has to do something to inherit eternal life, that he doesn't have it. Somehow he knows. How does he know he's not right with God? Here's how. There's a small, still voice. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the voice of God. And it speaks to us in such natural means, we don't even know it's God speaking. We think it's our own thoughts. It's the Holy Spirit. And it comes and it convicts us. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, in John 14, 6, he says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. John 16, I mean, excuse me. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, unrighteousness, and of judgment. What does that mean? What was Jesus telling us? When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, here's what it will do. It will convict you of sin. It will convict you of righteousness. And it will convict you of judgment. Here's what it means. Uh, uh, Dave, what did you do? What the heck? How sin, dude. That's not right. You know that was wrong. You shouldn't have lied. You shouldn't have switched that price tag. You shouldn't have cheated on that deal. You shouldn't have took credit for that thing. Whatever it is, right? The Holy Spirit comes along and convicts us of sin. Secondly, what does he convict us of next? Sin and what else? Righteousness. Hey, there's a, you're not measuring up. There's a righteous standard. You don't, you're not it. You're not good enough. It's inside of us. We know. Not only that, of sin, of righteousness, and what else? There's a judgment to come. What are you going to do with it when that judgment comes? It's a small, still voice, and it's speaking to every single man. And even though this rich young leader was successful and wealthy and moral and a religious moralist, uh, like many in church, a religious moralist, he knew he was not enough, and he knew he wasn't uh, good with God. Uh, he knew. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think this is C.S. Lewis. I remember the quote, but I can't remember for sure who said it. I think it's C.S. Lewis. It said, there is a universal standard and we all know that we have broken it. Isn't that a great truth? There's a universal standard and we all know we have broken it. How do we know? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the voice of God. It's a small voice and it hounds us until we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And something magical happens the moment that we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Something magical happens. We know we're not lacking anymore. And that small, still voice that hounds us now guides us. And brings us tremendous freedom. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. And how amazing it is when we allow that voice to bring us to the Lordship and to the throne of Jesus Christ. Uh, That small, still voice, man, it hounds and it hounds. And it was hounding this religious, this rich young leader. Uh, uh, There's interesting, if you look at the world, how this works, that that voice is still speaking today. Atheists try to drown that voice. How do they try to drown it? They say that voice is not real. That voice is not true. And you're not really a sinner because there's no God. And your sin is just fine. And they try to drown that voice with that belief system. Psychology, how do they try to drown that voice? What does psychology do to drown that voice? You're not broken. You're not bad. You just need to what? Love yourself. You just need to love yourself. You know what kind of thinking that is? That's like putting fuel, that's like putting gasoline on a fire. Uh, That's like telling a narcissist, you just need to think about yourself more. Uh, 
crazy, crazy instruction to try to drown that voice. The hedonist, how does the hedonist try to drown that voice? You're not enough. You're falling short. You got sin. How does the hedonist try to drown that voice? With recreation and pleasure and sex and partying and drugs and alcohol and addictions and sensual entertainment and just everything to anesthetize that voice. How does religion try to drown that voice? Do more. Well, you're a good person. You do this, this, and this, and this. And it's interesting how we try to drown that voice through good deeds and social justice and philanthropy and write a check to the babies in Sudan and just try to feel better about ourselves, go to church and say 10 Hail Marys, all of that just to uh, attempts to drown that voice. And here, this rich young leader, he's a religious moralist. He's a good man. He's, he's, he tries to do the right thing. Yet he knows he's lacking and he knows he's not right. And here's what is so interesting to me. Somehow he knows that Jesus is. Isn't that crazy? Somehow he knows that Jesus is the one who is righteous, who has the answers. And he's coming to him and he's saying, good teacher, what do I got to do? Because he knows Jesus is the one who has it. In Jesus, the, the rich young leader, he saw the light of divinity. And Jesus was trying to point him to the truth of all of that. Why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that is God. What's he trying to tell him? I'm God. I'm God. You need to know who you're coming to. The rich young ruler saw the light of divinity in Jesus, just like the book of John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of man. And the light is shining in the darkness. And darkness can't understand it. And the rich young leader, he sees that light. He's trying to grasp it. And he says, uh, man, I, I, I just, what do I need to do? And look at the commandments. Uh, you shall not murder. And the religious leader says, yeah, I got that. But what does Jesus say? No, you don't. What did Jesus tell us what murder was? If you think evil in your heart towards someone, you've already murdered them in your heart. You shall not commit adultery. And what does Jesus teach about the commandment? Anyone who looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And the rich young ruler thinks, oh, I've kept that commandment. And what does Jesus say? No, you haven't. No, you haven't. And Jesus goes through. He knows all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, rich young leader. I'm sorry, you're not that great. You're not as good as you think you are. And this is why you know you're lacking, by the way. Because you're trying to be righteous, what? On your own efforts. And you just can't get there. And to illustrate what Jesus is trying to show this man, what does he tell him? He says, take all that you have and do what? Sell it and give it to the poor. What commandment would that be? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, I've done that. Yeah, I just love everybody. I think they're all wonderful. I've never loved anyone like I love myself. And chances are, neither have you. Well, I take that back. There are times in my, my life when under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he enables me to love my neighbor as myself. But on my own, I've never done it. I'm far too selfish. Which one of you would sell all you have and give it to the poor? 
because that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And guess who did that? His name is Jesus. He left heaven, a little nicer house than yours. And he left it all. And he became a poor man. And he gave everything that he had to anyone who asked. Because that's what love does. And Jesus is showing the rich young leader, what's he showing him? You haven't kept all my commandments. And that's why you know you're lacking. And the rich young leader couldn't keep all the commandments and neither can you, neither can I. It's not possible. Unless Jesus enables us, we cannot keep God's command to love our neighbor as ourselves. All of us are too sinful. All of us are too, too selfish. Uh, we just trust money way too much. None of us would do what Jesus is asking this guy to do. We're all too selfish and we know it. We know it. Let's close and let's look at how Jesus finishes this, this out. Verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you... No, who's Jesus talking to now? His disciples. What happened to the rich young leader? He left sad. Where do you go when you know you're incomplete and you've come to the creator of the universe and you can't do what he's asked you to do? Where do you go then? When you're that, I mean, I can't imagine the despair that he must have left with. Uh, verse 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? Uh, there are some who teach, by the way, that uh, there was this small gate and uh, in order for the camel to go through, you had to take all the baggage and the holsters and everything off the camel and the camel would have to get down on its knees and crawl through the small gate and you'd have to go through sideways and you'd have to leave all your stuff behind and, and there's just no... There's just no no evidence of that whatsoever. Uh, furthermore, it misses the entire point. Um, Jesus says, look what he says. Unless you, <clears throat> it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? What's the answer? No one, no one, no one. Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is what? Impossible. impossible. It's impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. Wow. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. It is impossible. Jesus picked the largest thing in Palestine. That's a camel. And then he picked the smallest thing in Palestine. That's the eye of a needle. And he said, your chances of going to heaven are like your chances of getting that camel through this eye, this needle. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And here's what, the, what Jesus is saying. We cannot come to God on our own merit. But we can come to God through the perfect merits of Jesus. With men, it's not what? Possible. But with God, he can make it happen. How incredible. I want you to know the story of the rich young leader is not a story about giving away all of our money. Are you glad? Because you wouldn't do it. So I hope you're glad. It's not a story about giving away all our money. It's a story about trying to reach God on our own steam, on our own efforts, on our own performance, on our own righteousness. And it cannot be done because the price is too high. The price is perfection and none of us can measure up. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, the, the verb tense in the Greek is present tense. All of us have sinned and are falling short presently right now of the glory of God. We're, it's, we can't measure up. 
We just can't do it. His standard is holiness. And we are far too sinful to ever approach a holy God. It'll never happen. We can't reach God, but God can reach us. And he has in the person of Jesus Christ. He's come to us uh, in all of our sin, in all of our selfishness, in all of our arrogance. And he's come to purchase our salvation. And uh, he's amazing. Jesus came and he paid a debt that he did not owe. Because we owed a debt that we could not pay. And he came to pay it on our behalf. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up and close us in song. And uh, I want you to just consider how good our God is. And what he's asking us to. Jesus came to us in all of our sin to pay our debt. And here's what he's telling us. He's saying, hey, listen, the reason it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven is because he's prone to think he can get there on his own merit. The reason it's hard for a talented, gifted, uh, winsome, charismatic man to enter into heaven is because he thinks he can get there on his own merit. And like the, like the rich young leader, uh, you know, wealthy people, they're generally so successful, so accustomed to buying their way out of any problem, so resourceful, so capable that they think they can make their way into heaven through hard work and through, you know, their own talents, and they can't. This was the problem with the rich young leader. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, dang, sorry, buddy, you asked the wrong question. And the answer that Jesus gave is, you have to be 100% perfect. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it, and neither can we. And we just can't come to God on our own merit. And so may we rejoice in what Jesus has accomplished for us. Amen? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.